Welcome to SelfDiscoveryWisdom.com, formerly known as SelfDiscovery Media. On these podcasts, you're going to hear people who speak from the heart. They've taken the journey in life. Many things have happened to them, but they've changed it to happening for them. And in their strength, their courage, they've discovered their abilities and their wisdom, and they are now sharing it here with you. Do enjoy each show. We bring it to you with love and knowing that it's going to help you on your journey of life. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Your Health is Your Choice, right here on selfdiscoverywisdom.com. I am your host, Sarah Troy, and my guest is Jeff Dawson. We're going to be talking about cancer today. You're not something that we like to talk about, but he's definitely had his experience with it. We're going to be talking about how he lost his fiance to, to cancer, but also how he spent 25 years in the wonderful world of road con- construction, then had back surgery in 2010, which put him uh, on the skids on that career. And then his body couldn't handle the vigors of 12 to 16 hours, so six or seven days a week anymore. And as he convalesced, licking his wounds he wondered what next and not being out in the sun getting baked or dodging traffic was going to be a hard act to follow uh, so we're going to be talking about the an article in the daily morning news that caught his eye and about being a professional speaker hmm, he thought that was interesting and becoming mobile again and took a seat in front of a black monitor and pondered what to write. And then what did he write? Well, that's what we're going to be finding out today. And uh, we're just going to take this journey of uh, love's true second chance and um, what did happen. So let's jump right into it, shall we, folks? And uh, Jeff, back problems. Losing your fiance to cancer, you've lost the cover of other people to cancer as well. You know, there, there are always these redirects that we get in life, these challenges that we have to face that put us in a different direction. And cancer is such a unfortunately common disease and a nasty disease. And we never know if somebody's going to recover from it or it's going to take them. But there's always a lesson to be learned from it, isn't there? Welcome to the show. Yes, there are always lessons. I've lost my partner, my father, and then my fiance mm. to different forms of cancer. I have a family that's been and with cancer, and it's what, not an easy journey at all. No, it's not. But the one thing I got, I mean, the first book I wrote was Why Did Everything Happen? After the intro, and I had the back surgery, and that covered my partner, my father, and Debbie, Cause I got a chance to look back and see, okay, why was I there? Mm. Well, there was a reason that my life, it wasn't the exact path I wanted my life to take, but if it would have gone another direction, I would not have been there to take care of these people. My partner, we worked together, obviously, but we still had a company, but with my father, I was able to be there for seven months and take care of him. And with Debbie, it was kind of the same thing. Only I'm working in, Dallas. She lives two and a half hours north of McAllister, Oklahoma. But I've I found out real quick that, that work is going to take a back seat mm. because mm. their well-being was much more important than earning money. I was I can help take care of these people. Yes, yes, 
And, and it's I mean, not, you're lucky that you could, right? You're lucky that you very could. much so. Yes, if I'd have been extremely successful, then I would have said, you know, I, I don't have the time. I can't do this. You're just going to have to hire a full-time caretaker. It's it's not for me. But uh, since my life did travel the path it did, I, I wouldn't have missed it for anything. Nothing. Mm -hmm. I mean, seven months with my dad, I mean, that, that was priceless. And the same thing with Debbie. It was just... That's where you really find out. You find out a lot about yourself and the person that you're helping take care of. Yes. You know, we kind of look at it sometimes and go, why, you know, why are you taking them? You know, what what's in their sole contract that they have to leave now or they have to go through so much pain and suffering? And sometimes it is not only the journey that they're taking through it and their own discoveries, but the gift that they leave behind with the people that are paying attention, right? How many people go through cancer, they're alone or they're just going through treatment and people don't really want to converse with them or do much because they don't know what to say. You know, it's a sensitive subject. But when you've got somebody that's going through something and somebody's there helping you go through it, but at the same time, the little revelations or the stories that come into your mind while you're going through it, then are shared. And it's it's passing on those wonderful views on life isn't it oh absolutely i mean the stories that my dad shared with me which they were priceless because mm -hmm. as he knew his time was coming to a close he's like i can tell you all this stuff now <laughs> and it's like and I don't have to worry about consequences. And I said, well, then let's hear it, Dad. But it was a, I mean, we were always close growing up, but, you know, married, moved out, started a career. So, you know, there is a gulf there, but that came back rapidly. Doesn't mean we always got along mm -hmm. because you you have to set the guidelines for the person you're taking care of. But you don't treat them any different. You don't go around with a uh, a pity attitude. Right. You go around with, we are going to enjoy each day that we have because we don't know when that last day is going to come. And uh, it, it was amazing. I remember asking him one day of all the girls I dated and the one I was married to, who was his favorite? And he didn't hesitate. He said, Debbie. And I said, are you kidding me? He says, oh, no, I really liked her. And that's the girl who I wrote the book about. Right. But, but that really surprised me. It's like, I never knew. And he goes, well, you do now, don't you? <laughs> but it was just listening to his, you know, listening to his stories of the depression, being raised in the restaurant business, which was horrible for him because he had, he had horrible acne. I mean, he, the, he did x-rays surgery not surgery but x-ray treatment back in the 30s and 40s and uh but he and that's why he, he went to college so that he didn't have to do what his parents did mm -hmm. and it was just interesting to listen to him talk and it was it was the same with debbie as we did a lot of reminiscing from the things that went right and wrong from high school to when we saw each other in college but we focused on each other, and, and that was the real uh, thing that I learned. My partner, there wasn't much I could do with because when Larry's cancer grabbed hold of him, he was one of those that you just see wither away. Yeah. 
I mean, he worked as long as he could. And he told me, Jeff, the day I can't work is I'll tell you. And I remember we were working just north of downtown Dallas and he stood up from setting forms. He says, I can't do this anymore. And I said, that's fine. I'll, I'll pay you until the very end. And boy, when it hit him, he went down hard with Debbie and my dad. It was more of you got, it, it wasn't drawn out when it finally hit them. They were, Debbie went into the hospital. She was there three days for she passed. And my dad was uh, like five days because he collapsed after watching an Oklahoma State basketball game. And he just got up and fell over. And I ran over. When I looked in his eyes, the sparkle was gone. Yeah. You could tell, okay, we're getting real close. So I called the hospice nurse and she said three to five days. Mm Mm-hmm. So, but we took advantage of every day and, you know, being a caretaker, it, it's not the easiest thing because mm-hmm. your patience is really going to be taxed, but that's where I grew a lot in patience and understanding, compassion, because Debbie had two teenage girls. Now they're going through this yeah, and they they actually told me later that if you would not have shown up in our lives when you did, we don't know what we'd have done because, you know, we're divorced. Dad lives in Oklahoma City or doesn't have a great relationship with her parents. And we were kind of on our own. And I said, well, your mom said we got together at the right time for unfinished business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you ever um, see the show or the movie or read the book uh, Tuesdays with Maury? I've never heard of it. Oh, you would like it. What's the name of it? Tuesdays with Maury. It's with uh, Jack Lennon, one of his last ones. And it's about a guy that Maury. Jack Lemon? Yeah. Yeah, goes back away. Um, And it's about a guy that uh, is dying. And this young guy goes, uh, he's kind of interviewing him and he goes every Tuesday and it's like the lessons learned and then what the guy wanted to do uh Maury is that he wanted to kind of document his his death his what would he learn about his life through the dying um you know what how would he feel as he's leaving this world and he wanted it documented and so this is what was done and it's a beautiful book and a really wonderful movie um, with Jack Lemmon, and uh, but it sounds very much kind of like what you've done with, with uh, you know with, with your girlfriend and with your father. It's a documentation of their life through their dying, and it's a kind of a beautiful way to go out having somebody that's paying attention to what is their revelation of life as they know they're dying. I will definitely look that up because I, I really like Jack Lemon. Yes. Yeah. So, yes, I will. Yeah. I will do and it. and it's, it's an older one, obviously. So I think it might be a 90s movie, but <clears throat> it very much reminisces to what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, but the then. older ones, the old, yeah. the old ones are the best ones. Yes. <laughs> So, I mean, it's, but it does bring I don't that, care you know, what these kids say today. <laughs> exactly. Um, but it does kind of draw that same attention is the, you know, the, the allowing the person as they're, as they're dying to not only 
you know, go through the process of their dying, knowing they're leaving the world. But what becomes important to them in their memory as they're going, their reflection on life and having someone to share that reflection with. It's actually a beautiful gift in the dying process. It is. I mean, I wouldn't. I would. Losing them, obviously, is very difficult, but I would not trade that experience for anything. Because mm-hmm. and Now, with Debbie, you know, so what made her difference is, okay, so I've gone through with my partner and I've gone through with my dad. Well, we're men. Yeah. No big deal. Well, now I'm dealing with a, a woman, and she she told me before we got back together that, I've finished chemo. I'm on the tail end of radiation. I'm bald. I'm divorced. You know, every reason for me not to come up. And I said, are you done talking? Mm-hmm. She goes, yes. And I said, here's the, here's the question. Do you want me to come see you or not? Yes or no. And she said, well, yes. I said, okay, then what are we discussing? But I didn't realize the effect of breast cancer until for a better term, we consummated the deal because we dated and I told her sex is not important. What's important to me is spending time with you and your girls. That's all I care about. Anything else is, is just going to be the icing on the cake. And the, the night that it happened, in fact, it's a chapter I have, please leave the light on. When we went to her room and I asked her, do you want me to turn the light off? She said, no. And it hit me like a brick. It's like, cause she'd had a mastectomy. Me. She goes, she wants to see my reaction. Yeah, reaction. Yeah. To what her chest looks like, cancer here, than I did with my father and my partner. But I just looked at her and I looked in her eyes and I said, Debbie, that's not what I'm in love with. Mm-hmm. I'm in love with what's between, what's behind your eyes, your physical attributes. Yes. You are an attractive woman, but that's not what I'm here for. I'm here for what's in your eyes. And I had heard stories after I released the book from especially women that their uh, partner couldn't handle it. And I said, well, then you were with the wrong person. Yeah. I understand that it's a psychological it's psychologically devastating to a woman, kind of like what you see in that movie, Aaron Brovich, mm-hmm. where the gal's losing her breast and her uterus because she's all eaten up with cancer. And I said, that's, it said, then you're with the wrong person. They weren't in love with you for you. They were in love with your physical attributes. And then when you lost one, they were like, well, I can't deal with this. Well, then. You did, you found out a lot about your partner. Mm. That's that's the way I look at it. And it's yeah. Why why did you fall in love with that person in the first place? Was it yes. for the right reasons or the wrong reasons? Mm-hmm. And we are so much more than our anatomy. You are yes, because I've seen some very attractive women, but if a thought went into their brain, it'd scare the hell out of them. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> rely purely on the Lord. It's like, and that's what I, I told my, yeah, I, it's what I told my boys and these, 
20 and 30 year olds would come up and say, well, what do you, what do you look for in a woman? And I said, what's between her brains? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You might be physically attracted, but get them to start talking. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're going to find out real quick. And if they can't put two words together, son, head for the hills and head fast <laughs> yes. because you are setting yourself up for a disaster. Yeah. Because they're you're like, the... really? And I said, go ahead. No, go ahead. go ahead. I'm done. The whole thing about that is that um, we, we get attracted to the exterior and, you know, it, it's the chemistry and everything else, but that only lasts so long in a relationship anyway. And the everyday living comes into place. And you want to know that you can actually sit in silence with someone in the same room and feel like you're having a conversation. You want to know that you can converse about anything that even if they don't know and it's out of their realm, they're at least interested in knowing more. Because that's what really transcends the test of time is that ability to communicate with one another. Because the prettiness may go, the sexual passion isn't the same as you get older so what is left and you want to have someone where you really feel a connection that you can talk without speaking and hear each other and that really i think is a true loving connection absolutely i, I agree 100 percent, and that's what debbie and i had we didn't have to talk i mean and we didn't have to go to nice places all the time i just i remember the first time I asked her, I said, do you want to go to lunch? And she goes, yeah. I was like, okay, where? She goes, I want to go to Sonic. Do you want to go to Sonic, huh? Okay. What do you want? I just want some chili cheese tots. Okay, let's go. And it was just, it was the little things Ooh. that really, for me, it's the little things that make the relationship because it's like you said, just sitting there, with when the girls weren't around and just, you know, watching a movie or just anything, we didn't have to talk to communicate. Right. And, you know, they're obviously going through the worst time of their life because they know they're fighting, you know, between life and death. <sighs> Are they going to live? Are they slowly dying? And of course, with her leaving her, her young girls behind, there had to be a lot of fear a lot of anxiety around that. And as a caretaker, you've got to navigate all those emotions that are very valid. <clears throat> At the same time, try and keep them optimistic. Well, now I'll say this much. When Debbie told me she felt cancer had returned in March or April and they scheduled the MRI, I said, I will be up here for that. So I took her, she got it done and, you know, it's going to take a week for the get the results. And I said, I will be back for that. And we got the diagnosis and it was a death sentence. It's like, good Lord. She is not going to get through the first round of treatments. But when we went home, her oldest daughter came out and Debbie walked into the house and Jessica looked at me and goes, what the doctor say? And I said, okay, you have two options. Do you want me to lie to you or do you want the truth? And she goes, I am tired of people lying to yeah. me. I want the truth. And I said, okay, barring a miracle, your mom's going to die. 
Okay. This is how bad it is. And she just kind of stared at me. She was, I think 14. And she said, okay, now I know what to get ready for. Mm-hmm. I said, do you want me to tell your sister? She said, no, she said, no I'll tell her. Whereas her parents were in denial up until her last seven days. And I really got into it with them. I said, if you don't get her to MD Anderson, she's going to die. And they told me, well, her doctor has all these degrees. And I said, I understand I don't have any medical authority here, but uh, you're not listening to me. And they didn't listen until she went into the hospital for the last time. And he's like, well, maybe I should call MD Anderson. And the doctor came walking out and I said, hey, Doctor, would you tell him what you just told me? And he didn't. Her dad just looked at me like we didn't know. And I said, where the hell have you been? Yeah. I don't understand this. But her girls, that's the one thing I learned was, okay, I can't lie to them. I'm going to tell them the truth, but we're not going to treat your mom any different. Mm -hmm. We will have her active in everything that she can physically do until the day she says, I can't do this anymore. But we're not going to go around with sad faces. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, Mm -hmm. we're not. We're just going to deal with it and address it as best we can. You know, I mean, this show is called Your Health is Your Choice. And then, you know, when we're handed that death sentence, whatever it may be, it's still our choice on how we go out and what quality of life we have before we go out. And it's not just our health then. It's the health of the people around us the well-beingness that they're not left in shock or in remorse or you know in fear that that we as people knowing that you know this might be our last weeks or months how I conduct myself through this process is the ease in which they're going to accept my death and the well-beingness that is going to be left with them it's very important it is my dad my, and my dad was a stinker up until the end. I mean, he had his routine and by God, Jeffrey, you are not going to interrupt it. I'm going to watch my shows. In fact, he was a big Matlock murder. She wrote. <laughs> and when I was talking about stories after murder, she wrote Charlie's angels came on and I looked at him and I said, explain Charlie's angels, dad. And he goes, it's the plot, son. It's the plot. But don't tell your mom. And I said, Oh Yeah. Okay. Now it's, he looked at his watch and he goes, I'm ready for my ice cream. Go get me some ice cream. Charlie's angels is coming on. I said, not a problem, but yeah, he stayed rigid with his routine, did as much as he could, but, uh, yeah, he wasn't going to miss his favorite shows either. And and that was kind of fun to watch. You know, it is accepting. Um, I mean, we, nobody's promised today or tomorrow. We don't know. Right. Anything can happen. And the thing is, is that being present, being present with self in the now is what we say to people all the time. Be present. It's Mm -hmm. exceptionally important. So that being present with self is the way he decided to go out. I am going to be present in every moment and what I enjoy because I don't know how long I have. And so I'm going to just relish in the moment. Yes. And he did. He was, and we could sit on the back porch and not say a word, but, uh, he did do something one night that let's just say that, you know, Debbie and I were in high school and 
I had an accident and I won't go into what caused the accident, but I did back into a guy. I know I looked both ways to this day. I swear I looked both ways. I backed into this guy and my best friend, I went over to his house one day and his father asked me, did you back into this guy? And I said, what are you talking about? No, no, no. Well, 30 years later, sitting out there with my dad, he just looked up and stared at me and goes, Hey, Jeff, you remember that wreck you had at Wendy's? And I was like, excuse me. Yeah. I knew all about it because <laughs> he was good friends with Bill Paling, and Bill had called him up and said, Ralph, I need to tell you what your son did this <laughs> week. And I was like, you've known all these years and never said a word. And he goes, yeah, it's like, <laughs> Oh hell dad. Oh, hell. <laughs> but you know, I, all I could do is shake my head and go, you've been waiting how many years to tell me that? And he goes, just to get you when at the right moment. I said, okay, I, I'm done. I'm done, Dad. But It's little nuggets, yeah, isn't like it? I said, the, little things. It was. It, mm -hmm. It's the ones that just hit you up the side of the head and you go, you've known that for how many decades? Yeah. Well, I was just waiting for the right moment. <laughs> <laughs> and he could have used it as a punishment at any I mean, time. But, I, you know, I think it's oh, a reminder to Oh, at any time. Us. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> he chose not to. It's good on him. But I think, you know, what it is a reminder of to all of us is how precious time is. We, we You know, we become very complacent with life and very disgruntled instead of being grateful for what we do have we're always focusing on what we don't have and then when time is given to us and saying you haven't got much time left you know then it's the choice of what do I live in do I live in bitterness my, my father was given a death sentence not for cancer but for heart disease instead of them saying change your lifestyle change the way you eat change your anxiety change this and that and you can have a longer lifespan he instead as a, you know, a, a Spitfire pilot in the war kind of took it on as the enemy and he drank more and he did everything more, right? And he uh, just carried on as if, and he was a racing car driver and he carried on as if everything was the last moment and the death of everything, right? So for him, it was, um, Come on, death, come and get me. And he died four years later. He didn't he didn't live three months or four months, as they said. He died four years later, and he could have lived a lot longer. But he was a bugger, an absolute bugger, because it was like, come on, life, you're going to take it. You know, became bitter and twisted and drank more, and it was really difficult for the family. And I think choosing to go with grace choosing to go, okay, I don't know if if I've got a month or two months or three months. Um, I'm going to embrace every day as a gift. I'm going to look at every day as something important. Uh, then I think that whatever time you've got, you're truly living, but you're also not imposing on other people any regret or bitterness because it doesn't serve the family well or doesn't serve anybody well to do that. Right. But he was... So he was involved in the Battle of Britain? Uh, yeah, he was a, a, a squadron leader, a fighter pilot in, in the war, Second World War. And so he did a lot of stealth stuff, a lot of getting spies out, protecting the bombers. Um, so, yes, he was, um, I don't know if he was in the Battle of Britain, but because it, it, he wouldn't talk well, about it. The, mm -hmm. 
Right. Well, that'd have been 1941. When did when was he commissioned? In the um, well, I mean, actually, he was in the Navy because they wouldn't accept him. And then after, I think it was the Battle of Britain, where they realized they needed pilots. And he learned to fly in 17 yes. hours. And he was up there. So I think it was after the Battle of Britain. And uh, okay. so, yeah, he's, uh, you know, would fly in with his tail on fire. At the end of it, there was only two of his squadron left and they both died early. And um, so he was the laughter of them. He was um, 45. Okay. It's amazing what that generation went through to yeah. keep the world free. And they sure saw a lot of bad stuff. Yes. And they had but, to keep it in in Britain, you know, suck it up, you know, stiff up a lip, old man. And they, you know, they didn't go through any downloading, you know, post traumatic stress. And I think that's what played havoc on, right. on his heart, you know. Um, and uh, we didn't. We didn't honor any of that. We we're just like the war is over now. Suck it up, get on with it, and without dealing with yes. what they had been through. And and we've learned now. I mean, going to look at our veterans now. I have a veteran show, and you know they admit to the post traumatic stress, and they admit to how it changed their life. And they themselves have created programs that help other veterans, um, because they know what's needed because they've been left behind. And so we're still doing it. We ask people to fight for for their country and then discard them afterwards. And, you know, oh, thank you for your service, but I'm not there for you now. And so we see way too many people leave too soon because they just can't deal with the life in where the world they're in now. So if people have got that chance to have someone love them and care for them and be for them as they exit life, that is such a gift to them and to the people they leave behind because you've had that transition of being able to let go. So when death does come, it's more acceptable. But for so many people, they don't get that. So you've had a gift with with all of them in that you've given yes, them that grace of exit. And I'm glad some of that the stiff upper lip changed because in the last, I'd say, 10 to 15 years, a whole lot of these veterans, whether they were male, female, whatever country they came from, even the Holocaust survivors mm -hmm. have been writing books about it because they're finally able to release it. Yes. Realize, yes. okay, it's been long enough, just like, uh, you know, the show Band of Brothers. Mm, Winners really finally sure. got, you know, Ambrose took it upon himself to go interview all of these people mm -hmm. that had served in the paratroops. And, you know, 20 years prior, they wouldn't have told their story because I don't want to relive that. But then yeah. they realize we really need to unburden ourselves. And this man or woman is willing to accept that burden and do our memory and our yeah. generation an honor. And yeah. it has been I, I have read I don't know how many books on that. And it's just amazing because they all admit, in fact. Uh, just recently, a gentleman by the name of Woody Williams uh, passed away. Herschel Woody Williams at 100 years old, he was on Iwo Jima. And he talked about when he came back, he was smoking like four or five packs of cigarettes a day, drinking excessively. And it took him 15 years before he walked into a church again. Mm. And he said he wanted nothing to do with it, but his girls were dressed up in their white white April uh, Easter dresses. And so he finally decided he was going to go. 
and but he sat at the very edge of the pew, pew. and his wife was like, "Oh, he's going to bolt." Yes. And he did. He stood up halfway in the service, but he didn't bolt. He walked down because he realized the pain and suffering he'd been carrying for 15 years. He was he received the Medal of Honor, but he didn't remember anything he did until he read the after, after action report. He just knew that he could not rest anymore. Yeah. And he went down to the minister and he goes, may I help you? And he goes, I need to be saved and I need to be saved right now. And the minister said, then we'll stop the sermon and we're going to save this man. Mm -hmm. And he goes, my whole life turned around because I was finally releasing that burden. And I look at that the same way with cancer yes. is they're releasing their burden mm -hmm. on us. Now, are we going to be strong enough mm -hmm to deal with it because we can't avoid, we can do two things. We can embrace it and do the best we can, or we can run away. Yeah. And it's not going to be easy. There's going to be the times when the no. anger and the pain and the frustration and the fear are going to step in. And it's, you know, how do you handle it at that time? Uh, how Are you equipped to handle it? Do you know, or is it just by gut instincts? All you can be is, is you know, sometimes take the abuse and know that it's not, directed at you it's directed at what they're going through and just be there for them but then I've done shows on who takes care of the caregivers that's a good question because all I could do was write mm. that's the way I took care that's the only way I could shed the burden per se is let me put it in words and that helped with the healing because even though I'm remembering all of the bad things, I'm also remembering a whole lot of the good. Yeah. And that will outweigh the bad. So when you're, when you've done writing it out, it's like, you know, it was difficult, but you answered the call and there, everyone is much better off and they're in a better place because they're no longer in pain. Exactly. That's the thing is, it's also to under, actually understand, you know, we're spiritual beings having a human existence. And the, sometimes that human existence has a great deal of struggle and sometimes it has suffering. I think suffering is a choice, where we, whether we can suffer through it or struggle through it. I think there is a difference there. Um, suffering is when you feel so hopeless and helpless that you can't do anything. Struggle is that I will meet the challenge and ride it ride it to see where it's going to take me or try and rise above it, whatever the case is. And I think that uh, understanding that when we don't know when we're going to go and it just happens, that it's just happened, you know, we've, we've crossed over. But when we know we're going to go, and especially if you're leaving kids behind, it's that preparation of knowing you're going, that resentment of the fact that you're not going to see them grow up. Um, the, you know, are they going to be okay without me? What do I need to leave behind for them? There's so much that a person has to go through that all we need to do is ride the wave with them and help them the best we can in providing what they need to leave behind so they feel secure enough to go. Uh, but also understanding the tears of them knowing they're not going to see the things that they want to see. And I think that is understandable. And it's, but with the caregivers, um, you know, it, you get caregivers that are burnt out. You've got caregivers that are going through their own stress because they're absorbing 
the other person's stress. So how do the caregivers release? How do you release when you're going through that? You wrote about it, but at the same time, was there anything else that you did that helped you? Mm. I compartmentalized everything because being in road construction, which I was for all those years, one of the, one of the things I loved the most was setting up a schedule, putting a plan together, and then initiating that plan. Mm-hmm. Now I know that a lot of people can't do that, but each time I heard, "Okay, this person has cancer," it was like, "So what is what's going to be our plan of action? Mm-hmm. Well, what will my plan of action be, and how will that how will I coordinate that with the patient per se?" Yes. With Debbie, it was very difficult at times because I'm two and a half hours away. Mm. So I couldn't be there seven days a week until the last, uh, let's say, two, maybe three weeks when I knew it was coming. But I still had to take care of responsibilities, but she was the priority. So let's put the best plan we can and move forward. And it wasn't easy, but for me, it was logical and I didn't focus on what I couldn't control only on what I could control. Right. So that way I couldn't be blindsided by anything. I, I remember when I was talking to her doctors, I saw the same look in their eyes as I did with my dad's. And it's like, okay, I now know the deal. Mm -hmm. I know that this is terminal, even though they won't use that word. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, a battle plan, just, I put something logical together that, okay, this has got to work for everybody. But the one thing I cannot do, which I did learn from my dad is you cannot go 24 seven because if you do, you're going to fall apart. And if you fall apart, then everyone else around you is going to fall apart. And now we're going to have a disaster. So as a caretaker, you've got to be able, you've got to get your rest and you've got to get out. You've got to get out of the house, the apartment, whatever that person lives. And you've got to entertain yourself. I don't care if it's just getting something to eat, if it's going to the park and having a walk, but you have to distance yourself at least once a week so that you can recharge and clear your mind and relax. Otherwise it it becomes a horrible burden to where you can't function. Yeah. And then you become the patient. Yes. And who's going to take care of you? I've got photographs of me with my children. Like, you know, they come down with tonsillitis. And so I have a picture of them all pale and I'm holding them. And then a picture three days or four days later, they're fine jumping around and I'm the pale one. <laughs> yes. And you're like, this is horrible. What happened? <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, you know, that's short and temporary and you'll get over it. A couple of nights sleep and you'll get back on track again. But when it's something terminal, you don't know when that time is going to come. And you basically you're in preparation for it all the time. And, you know, wanting to know that you're there at the actual moment when they cross over so that they're peaceful. My brother and sister were my my mother's caretaker. And at the end, I think she had stomach cancer, but no doctor would go and see her. She only had nurses and she was bed bound, so she couldn't go to them. And uh, 
you know, my brother was the main caretaker. He he showered her, he looked after her, he did everything, which actually ended up having a heart attack and doing it because juggling a job, looking after her and the stress of it. Apparently he had a heart defect like my father that we didn't know about. And so when my sister was there, she got a hernia from lifting my mother up and, you know, a whole load of stuff went on with them looking after her. But when it came to her crossing over, she needed to die. She was 95 in excruciating pain. Um, she was on morphine. And I remember putting out a prayer vigil on Facebook to all my my friends and followers and saying, my mom needs to cross over and she just can't let go or it's not happening. She needs help in the crossing over. And I had 130 people send out prayers, not just likes, but prayers. The next yes. day, my brother said goodbye to my mom and he was going away for a respite and my sister was going to look after my mom and she they had converted the living room for her so she was on the main floor and it was a beautiful bay window but apparently it was a rainy day and my sister said I'm just going to go make a cup of tea and when she came back in the sunlight was streaming through the window it was streaming directly on my mom and my mom's eyes and hands were open and she had crossed over peacefully this was all within 24 hours of that prayer vigil, which I 100% believe, whether it's God or whatever you believe in, but that that coming together of that energy and how it can be beneficial. And she crossed over peacefully. But I think that that's what we want to see when somebody is in so much pain, when they reach that end of life where it's just now too excruciating, what you want is a release for them, for them to be able to let go and ascend to their next journey of life, which is without this body. Let the spirit fly, let the soul be released. And I think that is a release. And I I didn't cry when my dad died. I didn't cry when my mom died. I'm one of those people that I don't cry for them. They've They've gone home, they're fine. It's my loss and the tears come out in different ways. Um, and I think that's, if you look at death as something inevitable, and if we can make it as peaceful and as beautiful as possible, um, and be there for them, where they know they're loved and they're supported right to the end, when that end comes, it's something that's not only released to you, that the final day has come, but it's also knowing that they're now released from what they're they're struggling with, and that they've gone home. And I think that a lot of people will look at death and they, you know, they they are so devastated by the loss, which, yes, there is a loss. But I think it's also understanding the the beauty of letting them go. And that is so it's really, really important. How was it for you at that end in the letting go? Well, I watched that with Debbie and. You could say as you talked about your mom, you could tell she was leaving because all that pain mm -hmm. on her face was subsiding mm -hmm. and she was finally smiling. And that was probably the hardest thing when we got back together was to get her to smile again, mm -hmm. because she looked at everything that had been bad in her life. And I'm like, well, let's look at what's good in your life. Mm -hmm. And I remember her daughters actually saying one time, 
mom's laughing and she's smiling. And I said, well, she damn well better be. She's got an idiot for a boyfriend right now. And they're like, yeah, that'd do it, won't it? I said, yes. I'm trying to bring that high school girl out of her, out of that adult woman who thinks life has really dealt her some bad hands. But hey, no, it's life. We deal with it. Now, do you want to worry about it and complain about it or just want to go forward and have some fun like we did 30 plus years ago yeah and she finally realized well i guess if it doesn't bother you it shouldn't bother me and i Mm -hmm. said there you go i mean i actually put one of her wigs on one day and she was just (laughs) like take that off i said but it looks better on me (laughs) she didn't appreciate that but it was like well you know so, but it, whatever it does to lift up the spirit, right, to make that transition. Um, but ultimately, at the end, you do want to let them go because you do know that you're releasing them from the pain and the anguish. And then the next chapter yes. is is in being left behind, um, but realizing the gift that they have left you. They've left. You couldn't do anything about that. But what was the gift nope. that they left you with? The gift that... Uh... Well, all three of them left me was the fond memories, mm. the good times. Uh, and, you know, occasionally remembering some of the uh, bad ones, but it was just with, with Debbie, especially, I didn't realize how deep I could love someone mm-hmm. until we got back together. Even being married, I did not love my wife like I did Debbie, not even close because I got married for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. I was with Debbie for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. The The same with my father. We always had a good relationship, but I found out just how much we had in common and how much we loved each other. My partner, that was more of just a friendship deal. We had worked together, so it was a professional relationship, but it was still hard. But it's the... I mean, to this day, I there isn't a week that goes by that I don't have a memory from my father or Debbie that'll make me smile. Yeah. And go, yeah, those were good times. Those were fun times. And Those are uh, the memories that you hold on to, right? You don't remember the, I mean, you can talk about the stuff that happened, but it's releasing the pain to do with that memory, right? It, it's remembering, it's choosing to remember the joyful times. The times that made you laugh, the times that make you smile, because that's the gift of each other, is being able to smile at those moments that you had together. I mean, yes, they're they're gone, but they are not forgotten. I mean, and sadly, uh, I just lost my editor that I had known for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And that you talk about getting hit up the side of the head with a brick. Her husband sends me a message that uh, she's in hospice care. And I go, well, what the hell are you talking about? Well, she'd been fighting liver disease for three years. I wasn't aware of that. And I didn't release the book because I needed to do a dedication for her until I got the word from him. And boy, that was that was just as bad as losing Debbie because here's a guy I've known for 20 plus years. And even though we go for different colleges and stuff, we had a really good relationship. Well, now I'm able to help 
her husband go through this process since I've been there mm-hmm. and just, you know, send him a message once or twice a week. And he finally got with me that he tells me how he's doing that. It's just like one step at a time. Each day I said, yes, it is. So just do what you can. Don't overwhelm yourself. And then I heard from him the other night and he goes, I want eight copies that of the last book that she worked on for you. And I said, that's a done deal, man. Mm-hmm. But it was, we, but we were able to start talking about the good memories yeah. of Genevieve and the fun things. And I mean, he's an Oklahoma state fan. I am too. She was an OU fan, which are two colleges. No, the mood and the sadness by making fun of his wife mm-hmm. now that she's gone because she can't beat us or bite our kneecaps <laughs> off. <laughs> yes. So, oh, I mean, ultimately, it's a serious situation. Yeah, but th- that's but ultimately that's it, isn't it? Is is that we don't know when our time is going to come up, and what we want to know is that the legacy that we've left behind is a smile, is a laugh, is a good yes. memory, is a good feeling. You know, that we counted in someone's life, right? That, you know, somebody was sad to see us go because of what contribution we gave to their lives. And I think that's something that we all look for. We don't want to be forgotten. We don't want to be kind of just dismissed because they've gone, oh, because it's too painful to remember. No, even through the pain, remember the good times because that's how you heal the pain. It is. In fact, the book that she worked on, was about a good friend of mine who passed from liver cancer in 2021 during Christmas. And he was, I don't know if y'all had the commercial, the most interesting man in the world. It was a Dos Equis commercial. Well, this guy was just real quick, born in Beirut, raised in Armenia, served in the Russian army during the cold war and defected and came to the United States and became the top dealer, carpet dealer, moved to Dallas, was a big socialite. When the oil bust hit, he got in, he became the largest importer of Russian arms in the United States. Mm -hmm. And since he was dealing with Moscow, he became a liaison with the FBI and the CIA with his contacts in Moscow. I mean, he went to Star City. This guy had done, he did it all. Mm. He had it all. And he had told me, you know, I need you to tell my story. But he never sat down and told it all. So I've just got, it's a work of fiction, but it's based off how do I characterize this man and honor his legacy and his life, but staying in true form with who he actually was. Mm-hmm. So here I've got an editor's past. I have a good friend oh, and yeah, he and I would argue all the time, but once again, I became his caregiver for a very short period of time. Cause when he went to the hot, I remember he came to my room and it's like, you need to go to the hospital. You need to go right now. We're not, doing a uh, messing around because he had been diagnosed with prostate cancer in the summer and he went through that and they got it. But what he either, they didn't tell him or he didn't understand it had moved into his liver. Mm. And that was, that was sad because I mean, he went in on like December 23rd and he was gone on the 29th, but his family 
was in California in France. And I became their medium Mm -hmm. on setting everything up and going through all of his belongings. That was tough, especially when I got into his photo album. But his photos went back to, they had to have gone back to the beginning of the 20th century from his parents when they were children. It was the most phenomenal album I've seen. But it was so cool because now I get to go through and actually look at his whole life, his parents' lives, him as a child, and just go, this is this is a wonderful heirloom. Yeah. These are yeah. the stories he didn't tell me. Mm-hmm. So that was that was my healing was cleaning up the rooms. Another story, but going through that photo album and seeing all of his relatives is like, now this is really a gift. That yes, all of that was shipped to his family in California. But once again, I'm honoring him through words. Yeah, so exactly. he will. He was a, tr- he was a true life James Bond. Ian mm-hmm. Fleming would have loved to have met this guy. <laughs> and you know who he might have been inspired by? Ian Fleming and James Bond. You know, we never I, know right where the inspiration I, is going to be. So you know that. Yeah, you don't. And and that's again you he you was, honor people was, with the words. He just because he was a guy that. Uh, Husbands and boyfriends didn't want him around their women. I'll tell you that right now. Cause he, he had that Humphrey Bogart, Clark Gable pers- persona. And when you saw him, he looked like a Italian mob boss. Cause that's the way he dressed. Too. He was always dressed to the nines and it's like, good Lord, but other oh, stories. So now I'm getting to relive his life and his character in this fictional work based on fact. He was also an actor. He had a side card in the United States. So it's faction, right? It's, it's faction. faction. I like that. It's yeah. faction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Taking some fact and fictionalizing it. Right. Um, yeah. And honoring a story that way, you know, and obviously doing as much research as you can and talking to as many people as you can about him. But just, you know, very often when we see people larger than life, we we don't think about them when they were young. You know, what took them on that path? You know, what, what was that catalyst that set them on the road that they're on now? And it's always intriguing of, you know, why do we choose what we choose? And uh, if there's a way of bringing that about, um, because obviously he had an extraordinary life and one that we probably wouldn't believe today couldn't probably get away with today with social media and everything else because that makes it much much harder to do the type of thing he did there's nowhere to hide the nowadays one thing, <laughs> the one thing he never told us was how he defected mm. from the soviet union because what was even when he started selling arms the soviet union hadn't collapsed right and it's like no wait a minute you are a defector and you're going back to the Kremlin, and he goes, I knew the right people. Right. Yes. Well, who were those people? Well, those are the people that he didn't name. He said, I can't tell you everything because some of them are still alive. Yeah. 
And they wouldn't be, be for long. Right. <laughs> yeah, there could be consequences. So, as you said, it's a work of faction. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Taking the fact this did happen and fictionalizing the people yes. for their own protection. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you have coined a new word today. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the whole like thing is, 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 you know, living and um, honoring someone's life. You know, with the impact these yes. had on you, but it's but also in this in this case of taking somebody's fact of life, fictionalizing it in because quite honestly, his life was larger than fact anyway. It was. I mean, he was it kind was of living ridiculous. a fictional life, so it's not so far stretched, right? To, yeah, to bring it was, that in. It was, I mean, it's turned into three books because there was so much to his life, mm -hmm. and it's like. Bears, quit talking to me. I've got to finish this one before I do the next one. But yeah, your head just goes, you knew who? Right. You did what? what? <laughs> you were making how much money? Yeah. And uh, what what wife did you abscond from the husband? Would you, excuse me, did you really do that? And he goes, he just smiled and go, I did. And it's like, what is wrong with you? He goes, I had a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And of course, to bring a, that character alive and all those things that you know about him and then, of course, fictionalizing the names and places. But it is, again, the the things that we buy in fiction the most are things that are based in possible fact. Yes. And that's what that's what this is. And it's just I've never written a book as fast as I did his first one. I I think seven weeks, eight weeks, it was done. And it's like Debbie's book didn't go that fast. None of the others did. But this one, it's like, is he standing over my shoulder going, yes, yes, yes. That's what I want. That's what I want. That's what it I want. It probably is. It probably is. Yes. Because <laughs> the second one is 75% complete. Mm. And it's just flying. Well, I've had a medical issue. That's another story. But it's been flying along going, the more I write, the more I get to see who this man was. Yeah. I mean, he was friends with Ken Kirchival, uh, Larry Hagman, the stars of Dallas. Yes, I remember him. Yeah. I mean, you name it, Victoria Principal, Ben mm -hmm. Gazzara. Uh, he couldn't stand Warren Beatty. He, well, he did not have a good story about Warren, but because uh, <laughs> they were both up for a part in a movie, and the story was Warren told the, the producers he didn't want him in the movie because he was better looking than him. And that did not make Bears a happy man. I mean, even when he told the story, he was very, you know, being kind of Middle Eastern, very emotional and used his hands all the time. Yes. And would just, I, he just get excited. It's like, <laughs> Bears, settle down. It'd be okay. It'd be okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, getting to, I mean, and that, I guess that's what I love about writing is honoring these people. Because this mm -hmm. book, I get to honor too, him mm -hmm. and my editor. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and of course, trying to find a new editor, you know, one that kind of got you the way your other one did. It's hard. It's hard to replace somebody it's, that kind of gets it is. Yeah, it's, it's the hardest thing. It's, you know, it's like finding a real good mate. You, mm. you got to look hard and you really got to not research them, but as I said earlier, what's between your ears? Cause I'm going to give you a couple of paragraphs and let's see what you don't like about it. And that's what, when people go, well, how do you pick an editor? I said, that's how I do it. I'll give them some paragraphs and say, edit it. Let's see what you got. Yeah. 
So what's between your ears is very important. And if they're, if they're not willing, if you're not willing to be criticized and that's what a good editor for me does, they tell me this is really bad. You need to rewrite this. Okay. I need to do that. Cause I, I remember when I first got into this, I got a one star and a two star and kind of like getting these cancer, uh, diagnosis, you can either sink or swim. Well, I, I took those reviews to heart and I saw a common thread and I went back to this first, uh, novel that I wrote and they were right. It was bad. It needed and it'd been through two, but I found out what to start looking for. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I went through and wiped out something like 15,000 words and said, that's a better story. That's a lot tighter. So I took some bad reviews, kind of mm-hmm. like a bad diagnosis and like, all right, let's, let's learn from this, put a plan together and make the best of it. Yeah. Cause that's what we're here to do is learning with, you know, Larry, dad and Debbie, and then bears and Genevieve with each disease and, uh, diagnosis. I learned a lot about myself and I learned a lot about them. Yeah. And, you know, although we put this under our health history choice, I think this story matters probably would have been a better genre. But, you know, when it comes back down to it is, well, you know, people look at health as just being a physical thing, but they don't understand it's a spiritual thing. It's an essence thing. It's a, a well-beingness thing. And it's like, you know, when you're watching somebody leave this world and they cannot fight for their life anymore because it's the battle had done. Um, it, you know, it it is about your well-beingness, what they leave you. You know, we don't take care of our psyche as we should. We think everything medical is just to do with the human body. And we don't realize it's not just the mind, but it's the psyche um, of who we are and what we're left with and how that has an impact on our own well-beingness. And so, you know, our health is in when we're looking after people that are leaving, um, but how we're looking after ourselves, mind, body, heart, spirit, and soul, the whole of us, because that's really important. Otherwise we kind of go with them in many ways. Uh, And we, that's not what it's about. This is the end of their journey and it's what they've left behind with you that you carry forward, but we don't want to get so immersed into the losing of them that we lose ourselves as well. Yes. In fact, when you were talking about your mom and the sunlight coming in, mm-hmm. it reminded me of my niece came in and this is one thing when you're taking care of someone, listen to them yes. because they're not imagining things. And my niece came in and goes, he won't let me change him. And I said, what seems to be the problem? Well, he says, there's people in the room. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I walked in there. You could feel them. Yeah. Yes. You can yeah. feel these presences yeah. in there. And mm-hmm. I just looked at dad and said, uh, I have a question. And he goes, what? And I said, I understand that you're having a conversation with a lot of people in here. And he goes, I am. I said, okay, do me a favor. And he goes, what's that? Tell them to give, give us five minutes to, to clean you up and change you. And we'll be out of your hair and y'all can go back to the conversation. And he just looked up and he goes, folks. Give me five minutes and I'll be back. 
And he was dead serious. And of yes. course, my mom, she goes, he's hallucinating. And I said, you didn't feel the presence in that yeah. room? Mm-hmm. It was very strong. They're getting ready to yes. bring Ralph him. home. Yeah. Yes. And when we were done, I said, Dad, go back to your conversation. He said, thank you. And get the hell out of my room. We're gone. <laughs> we're gone. Yeah, people but don't understand. Was that kind of the way it was? Yeah, I think it was the way it was, was with that the my way- mom. With yeah, your mom? I think, yeah, I think so. I think that was the way it was. I think before she just, you know, she wanted to cross over, but she didn't know how. Um, and then eventually, you know, those, the presence helped cross her over. 135 prayer partners. Yeah, yes. exactly. Exactly. You know, and, and and this is where I very much believe in the power of energy. We're all energy. Everything is energy. And the higher frequency of love and sending out those loving prayers of her to cross over peacefully. And and it happened within 24 hours. And it's like, um, don't, please do not demean or dismiss what somebody is going through in their last hours or days because the presence of others there. And if you took a, a Geikon thing that can measure energy into the room, you would you would measure that energy in there. Yes, of the you presence would. of Absolutely. The presence of them being there because they're there to help them cross over, to go home. Right, because there's uh, there's a lot of deaf doulas that I've interviewed, deaf midwives, and they're talking about that uh, veil of time from when a person physically crosses over to when their spirit actually leaves. And this is why we don't want to have people hysterically crying or people immediately stripping the bed or anything else. Allow that time of grace for them to ascend and leave the body and have their spirit leave the body um, and sever that tie. And that's just as important, um, um, you know, as anything else, that time of transition. Yes, absolutely. So you've got your books here. Now, how do people find where to get your books? Because you've got the um, Love's True Second Trance and you've got the Gateway um, Piochi. Is that how you pronounce that? Yes, I believe so. Piochi. Um, well, I've written twenty-three. You have. They're okay. all on Am. They're all on Amazon, uh, and they're also listed on Goodreads. Mm-hmm. I currently don't have a website, but uh, I mean the ones that we were discussing today. It's like, uh, why did everything happen? Mm-hmm. Love's true second chance. Living with breast cancer. And then the one that I just released about the gentleman we're talking about, the name is Bears. And then when we were talking about the war, I have a poetry book uh, dedicated to the women who have served on the front lines and on the home front, which women have not, in my opinion, been mm-hmm. properly mm-hmm. acknowledged. Uh, acknowledge uh, and i saw that in the movie when we were soldiers that mo gibson was in when the mm-hmm. women are getting the western union telegrams i mean i've read 300 books on world war ii and maybe three were about women it's like well, we need to honor them and that's what i did in women of war so but yes everyone is what else? TikTok, Dawson, Main, OWM, because I'm an old white man, and that's what I call myself. <laughs> so but all of these Facebook, books. Facebook, Jeff Dawson. Uh, 
and they can all be found here on Amazon. Um, and of course, is the is the later one latest one loves true second chance or is um no, I wrote the the current one is the name is Bears. Love's yeah. True Second Chance. I wrote that in 2011. Right. So uh, the name is Birch. Is that the one, the latest one? Yes. The latest one is the name is B-E-R-G-E. Right. That's and the you, gentleman and we were got, talking about. And you've got two more books coming out on him. His life was so big. Yes, it will be three books. I hope it's only three books. I don't know if I could write a fourth one on them. <laughs> and so um, they can find all the books on Amazon by just putting in your name. Um, Jess, J-E-F-F Dawson, D-A-W-S-O-N. But as you said, you're also on Twitter. Um, Jeff Dawson, 59, TikTok, Dawson Domain Own. Um, and uh, Facebook loves True Second Chance. And uh, they can also yes. reach you at jdawson41 at netzero.net email. Cool. Yes. Excellent. So, I mean, you know, keep on writing. Obviously, this is, you know, your forte, whichever way the journey takes you. Um, it yes. seems also that you're very much talking about people that have crossed over. Not so much living yes. now, but people that are crossed over. And that obviously is your niche uh, because obviously you're channeling them uh, and what they want you to write and what they want you to say about them. And, you know, I'm glad that you're doing stories on women in the war, which were totally dismissed after the war, um, even during the war, the contribution. Um, but there's so much, I think, if we look back to the past and see all those that have paved the path for us, whether it be war or what industry or anything else, and show some gratitude for the path that they've laid Absolutely. before us. Uh, we would revere and respect ourselves and, and everyone else, no matter what uh, species we are, uh, more today, because we, we know the past paves the way for the future, but it's, it's amazing how many people in the present don't pay attention to the path that's being paved for them. I mean, I mean, it, it, what happened to women after the war, whether it was the U.S., the U.K., or the USSR, they all did the same thing. When the war was over, it didn't matter what service mm -hmm. that you all provided that country. It's like, all right, you're done. Go away. Yes, exactly. Go Excuse back me, to your life. Go away. Yeah. 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 We're done with you. Well, what yeah. about benefits? Ben what benefits do you want? You're right. not getting any benefits. Yeah. But the men did. Yes. But the women didn't. Right. And even On some of the men did. all three of those countries. Yes. I mean, in America, yeah. I mean, our veterans still are fighting for those benefits. And that's why I, because I'm anti war, but I interview the veterans that have now created programs and created organizations that help veterans and help anybody across the board. But it came about yes. through the need that they weren't getting from anyone else. So. Yeah. Yes, because the government, wrong. well, we know how governments work. Yeah. <laughs> Slow <laughs> and in their own interest. Poorly. <laughs> poorly. Yes, pretty Very poorly. <laughs> that is correct. Definitely. That is correct. Thank you so much for sharing with us here today. And uh, folks, please go and look at all the books. I mean, got a massive amount of them up here. Um, you know, Cold North Sea, No Ordinary Killing, Editing Reality TV, Back Home, all many so many different subjects. Um and you know, just okay, those ones you just excuse me, those ones you just mentioned, that's a different Jeff Dawson. Oh, is it? Okay. 
that's no ordinary not... killing and those that's a different jeff dawson okay so you need to have so your the... own show page up there under your name so that they well, don't get mixed up i've got it but you have to go down so i just tell people type in one of my titles and that takes you to my page whether it's love's true second chance why did and why did everything happen women of war when you type in a title that takes you to me because there's like four jeff dawson okay um that's it it happens it's okay yes no i want to make sure that we actually give people one link that actually is yes. going to is going to give the where all of your books are uh so that it's easy for people to find um so you know having that amazon page with just you with all of your books is good to have because in that way people can find everything that you've got there so right well i have that but like i said there's three or four jeff dawson's the same way and that's why even when i search myself i have to type in the title occupation mm. when i do that there it is so i click on my name and that takes me to everything i'm going so to do that right now and see what happens occupation okay. occupation okay let's see what comes up because i want people to find you um Okay, this not sure this is you. <laughs> We're going to find you and we'll make sure that we've got you here for sure. I want all of your books to be okay. um, for people. But uh, um, that's why it's good to have a website. And then you've got everything there. <laughs> I understand. I understand that's in the process. Good. I'm glad process, to hear it. I'm yeah, glad to hear it. You type in Jeff Dawson occupation and you'll see it's it's a World War II book about vampire clans ah. coming together after the after and it follows world war ii the real history of world war ii right so occupation cauldron and sabotage there you go right bingo right okay there'll yes, be three more in that series okay good I'm, gonna, I'm taking that through the end of world war ii so yeah now you're seeing them all great well, thank you so much and keep writing. Obviously, it's your forte and obviously respecting and bringing basically what you're doing is giving the dead a voice, right? Those that have gone, yes. you're giving them a voice and, and maybe, you know, that came about through you seeing people transition, you know, um, but really understanding what death is, uh, you, you know, it's just the end of our book our end of our book and life. It doesn't mean it's the end of our spirit that carries on. It's the end yep. of our life as we know it here on earth, but it's uh, what did we leave behind and how did it impact other people? And uh, yep. did it impact them in a positive way to have good memories? And that's really what we want to leave behind. And that's what I love about the gateway peyotes that you mentioned. There's mm -hmm. a character, Judith Anderson. Well, I knew her in junior high and sadly about what was it 20 years ago i got a message that did you hear about judy and i said no her husband killed her and then oh, killed himself mm. and it's like really so when i was looking for characters it's like such a sweet girl and pretty and nice and had a really good brain between the ears i said she's gonna get honored in this series mm -hmm. and she is going to be one good woman she's gonna be mean too <laughs> but you're gonna like her <laughs> mean kindness <laughs> mean well, kind, yeah what she's got yeah go ahead no that's okay that's okay so if you mean kindness 
Um, that's when we find the inner strength. I mean, it doesn't mean to be mean, but sometimes you've got to be mean to be kind, right? Yes, exactly. Thank you so much for sharing here today. You know, it's, um, as I said, I should have put you under so many different other titles that we got here. But ultimately, is knowing that take care of yourself when you're being a caretaker of somebody that's passing. Yes. Honor their journey, uh, all the reactions that they go through, because it's part of the process. And their legacy is in what they leave you and how you share it on. And you share it on through your writing and not just people that you've personally lost, but people that you feel that should be honored uh, for what they have left behind um, because they haven't been. So thank you for what you're writing and keep on writing. Sarah, it has been my pleasure. Until next time, folks, there's a lot to learn from people that have gone before. And uh, remember, <laughs> your health is your choice and how you look at life, how you look at death, how you look at well-beingness, but also how we honor the people that have gone before us and how we keep them alive in our storytelling. So until next time, folks, bye for now. We hope that you enjoyed the show. There are so many more for you here on selfdiscoverywisdom.com. Just go to the podcast tag at the top there and you will see all the many genres and all 3,000 shows ready for your listening. We are here to serve you, to help you on your journey of life. And we know that through inspiration, it begets invitation. We are supported by you, the listeners, and those that we interview. Anything that you can spare us in donation would be greatly accepted. And we do hope that you enjoy the next show.